Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Shortly after being expelled from Congress last Friday, after a House Ethics Committee report found there was, quote, substantial evidence that he had broken multiple laws, disgraced liar George Santos found himself a new gig on Cameo. Cameo, the site where you can pay people for personal messages, like from celebrities. Santos's profile, calling him a former congressional icon. That's what it says. This week, Democratic Senator John Fetterman ponied up $343.20 to buy a message from Santos to send to his colleague Bob Menendez, the senator from New Jersey who has been accused of taking bribes and secretly aiding the Egyptian government. Hey, Bobby, uh, look, I don't think I need to tell you, but these people that want to make you get in trouble and want to kick you out and make you run away, you make them put up or shut up. You stand your ground, sir. Stay strong. Merry Christmas. As with everything George Santos touches, his expulsion from Congress has turned into yet another sideshow, which is equal parts silly and gross. But since he hopefully will recede from public view now, we thought it would be a good moment to reflect on how we got here. It was almost exactly a year ago, December 19th to be precise, that Santos's lies were first revealed in a story by New York Times reporters Grace Ashford and Michael Gold. The newly elected Long Island congressman, it turned out, was not who he said he was when it came to his family background, the charities he was associated with, or his wealth. It was a bombshell report. But at the North Shore Leader, a small local paper in George Santos's district on Long Island, the story was nothing new. In January of this year, the New Yorker Radio Hour ran a story about the leader, reported by New Yorker staff writer Claire Malone. So I went out to Long Island to meet with Grant Lally, who is the publisher of the North Shore Leader, and also with Maureen Daly, who is the managing editor of the paper. Hi, can I help you? Yeah, I'm Claire Malone. Are you Maureen? I am. Maureen, lovely to meet you. you. George. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. We're probably going to bring you into the conference room. Okay. Do you mind if I go ahead? No, wherever you want to go. The North Shore Leader serves kind of a wealthy, pretty uh, white suburban area of Long Island, And it has about a circulation of 5,000, so it's pretty small. This is a cutting-edge story about a Christmas tree lighting. It says, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, across the top of the is, I believe this is the Oyster Bay, uh, downtown Oyster Bay, Main Street Association's holiday celebration. So your your four lead stories are World Cup Party, Thieves Are Very Busy, New Year's Eve in Glen Cove, and Bayville lights the menorah. That's it. That's it. These are locally... I mean, this is, you know... I mean, and our, I guess our top story inside is, you know, the leader told you so. Um, it said, the leader told you so. U.S. rep-elect George Santos is a fraud and wanted criminal. And we published this just a couple days after the, the Times piece came out. Grant Lally, the publisher, is a uh, a lawyer by trade, um, but he is also someone who's in politics. So he actually ran, he's run three times for the same congressional seat that George Santos is now sitting in. And Grant is pretty, uh, you know, connected and involved in local Republican politics out there. We've ha- I've already <laughs> spotted two Reagan busts. So how many yeah, more? That, that was actually my dad did that. His dad okay. sculpted. My dad sculpted. No that, that one he didn't do. But T- that, the Teddy that, Roosevelt. Yeah, that was, we had a sculpt. he had a sculpture, my Manufacture company. No 
Um, the paper has endorsed Democrats before. They endorsed uh, incumbent Tom Suozzi um, for this seat previously, who is a Democrat. And in 2022, the paper endorsed Robert Zimmerman, who was Santos's Democratic opponent. I mean, we when, when my dad bought the paper, there was somebody, and she passed away, but, you know, she kind of came with the paper. She she was Tom Suozzi's babysitter when he was a baby. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> you know, so we could never endorse yeah. against Tom Suozzi. Right. <laughs> right. That's amazing. When did you first become aware of George Santos? I got a telephone call from a someone who had, had helped me out in my campaign and said she was working with George Santos and would could I, could could we please meet and have lunch? What year is this? Uh, this was January of 2020, and um, <clears throat> it was down the street at the Carl Place Diner. I went down. I had lunch with them. Um, George Santos was sort of sitting back, glowing in the attention and. Um, uh, he was, you know, he was bizarre. Would be the best description. He was very boastful and very evasive. And I had run for this seat before, and we had the newspaper, so I was kind of, you know, it was a dual role. He was looking for help and support and advice, and at the same time, it wasn't an interview, but you know, we were. I was sort of sizing him up sure. for you know coverage in the future. Sure. And um, I mean, I asked him at the time. I mean, very you know, I have friends from Brazil. You know, I know a bit about Brazilian society, and he boasted about his finance. But being in finance and being a very successful, wealthy financier, he was only 32 at the time, maybe 31 at the time. So very young. And, you know, bragging about his millions. And, it, it you know, it didn't click. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't mesh with what, with truthfulness. I, I noticed that you guys didn't endorse him in... 2020. Correct. Yeah. Did you know anything was Look, concretely he, amiss, or was it more just he was a feeling? Just, he was not a serious candidate in 2020. I mean, it was Tom Suozzi. I mean, it was the same district I ran in, but Tom Suozzi was well-established. He was the former county executive. You know, Santos really ran that year as, uh, you know, a throw, as, 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 a, as a non-serious candidate. Uh, it, it, you know, he, he was just some guy running, and you know, it was it was a um, he was Brazilian. Nobody's ever run a Brazilian before. Sure. Uh, you know, so... You know, it, it was almost like an outreach candidate. Let's see, let's see what he can do. And yeah. um, you know, he was openly gay. I think he's the first person they ran in the county who was openly gay. So it was really, you know, let's give him, let's give him a shot. Let's see what he can do. Um, but no one at any level expected him to be competitive, or, or certainly not to win. Sure. Fast forward two years. Yep. There's redistricting that happens in the third district. Oh, two oh. things. Okay. It's actually Please. this. This is the, this is the this is the. This is actually the key to the whole yes, thing this year, is everyone expects meeting everyone. All the political, you know, pros, all the political people expected that <clears throat> you have a one-party Democratic government in New York State, and you know, look at any time you have a one-party government in any state, they will redistrict the lines to favor their party, and you know, it's called gerrymandering. And uh, in February of 2022. The legislature came out with a map that was heavily gerrymandered to favor the Democrats. The governor signed it. And this district, the third district, became a went from a three-county reasonably competitive seat into a five-county completely non-competitive seat that wrapped around uh, through Queens, up through the Bronx, along the shore in Westchester, and then for whatever, and I still want to know who designed it, but sent, shot a tentacle up to Westchester Airport, got to Westchester Airport, 
went halfway down the runway and stopped. It was not a competitive seat. Sure. And so he wanted to run for it, and and and, and just nobody to clarify, else wanted to. Not competitive, favoring Democrats. It was a Democratic seat. Right. No Republican could have won it. Doesn't matter whether uh, red wavier or no red wavier. Sure. That was a Democratic seat. Right. So he's running for it. Um, no one else. No one else. No other candidate filed. And then um, the New York State Court of Appeals, the top court, issued a decision um, throwing out the map, claiming it was too partisan and that they also had not followed the proper procedures in the, under New York law uh, to for a redistricting commission to meet. They basically, people boycotted and didn't allow the commission to meet. Right. So the Court of Appeals threw it out, said there's no time. Legislature is actually enjoined and barred from trying to weigh in at that point, and the, the, let the, the court issued a brand new map for New York State. And at that point, the the Republican Party around here has already canceled the local primary, right? And George Santos is the, is well, the presumed candidate. Uh, they gave a very short window, about 10 days, for if anyone else wants to jump in and, and wage a primary, you have 10 days to stand up a congressional campaign, raise a million dollars, go out and collect 2,000 signatures. Grant, uh, did you consider it? <sighs> You know, I, I talked to a few people about it because I saw that I could see instantly that the new district was a leans, a, a marginally Republican district. I was browsing the website and I saw, you know, there's one headline, mass thugs, Rob store in Huntington, you know, national crime. Like, was was crime a big issue out here? What were the things that were kind of resonating with Republican voters? Do you want to pick them? I think crime definitely was. Uh, the biggest stories are the local, often the students, sure. the success stories. But I'd say the second most important thing to the to the readers is the crime. So let's talk, you know, for, for listeners who would be unfamiliar, can you talk a little bit about, you know, the issues that, that George Santos brought up? Like, or was it mostly, he had an interesting biography. I mean, what was it about Santos that resonated over it, it, the Democrats? What was interesting was... He really didn't run, and this is this is part of what we saw, which really nobody else, you know, frankly, even in other parts of of the region saw, is that there were there was no campaign. I mean, he did nothing. Uh, there was not a campaign office open, uh, not a lawn sign printed or put on a lawn, not a mailer sent to people's homes, not a TV commercial on television, not a radio ad on nothing until Labor Day. So if you walked around in in August. You have no idea. You never have no idea who this who George Santos is. You wouldn't even know his name. But, and this is what we saw. We pulled his campaign filings, his his campaign finance disclosures, and he claimed to have already spent over a million dollars on a congressional campaign. And people, some people run entire congressional campaigns on a million dollars or less. And he, by August, doing with nothing, claims he already spent a million dollars. And that was a disconnect that we saw. Yeah. And we said. This is, there's something really wrong here. It, it's kind of like, you know, what did you do with the million we gave you last week? Where'd it go? And you do look at the filings. And what is great with the FEC and with our system is you do have to record everything up to that $199.99. That can go um, without being detailed. Yeah. So there were so many expenses that were just $199.99. So I don't have to tell you what I spent that on. And that's just a red flag that kind of says, wait a second here. You know, you can't be buying everything for $199.99. We heard story after story after story about 
him doing bizarre things about bragging about his mansions. Um, and, and So you hear the story and you say... You hear these stories and we know, you know, we know everybody, meaning we know a lot of people in the district. And so Santos would tell one lie to one person, another lie to another person, and we would hear from the, both of those people, compare notes and realize, I mean, he's a total... This is, he's making all of this up. He's a total liar. And so when you know he's a total liar, then you start looking more, more closely... And look, he was he was so well known, at least in in the more active political circles, to be a liar, that by early summer he was already being called George Scamtos. Did you talk to Democrats about the weirdness with Santos? You know, the DCCC, the Democratic, posted a I thought very weak uh, bit of research on on Santos. So I looked at that. It was about seventy five pages or so, but most of it was pretty much boilerplate and. It raised a lot of the questions that we had, but didn't really provide answers. He put down in, I believe it was February of 2022, that he loaned his his campaign. He personally loaned his campaign $700,000. Now, this is a guy who had no assets, zero assets, just 18 months before. Yeah. Through in, in, And that was disclosed in his 2020 personal financial disclosures, plus... They made like $55,000 a year. Yeah, so made $55,000. Yeah. So wh- where did where did a million and a half dollars in earnings come from? And by the way, do we know anything about that $700,000? Look, I-, I suspect, my suspicion is that it's fake, that he just put it down. It was never, it never happened, but he put it down on the reports to try to enhance himself uh, so he could go to wealthy people on the North Shore, uh, tell them he's Jewish, and tell them all sorts of lies. Uh, and say, I really need money, and and I'm in, but I put 700000 of my own money in. I'm wealthy like you are, but I really need your help, too. How did this the, this blatant of a lie happen? I mean, it, does some fault come to the local GOP where they just never... You know, look, congressional campaigns are, by law, separate legal entities. Local, local, the local parties cannot, you know, finance, cannot control con- congressional campaigns. So the, the story comes out in September. Mm-hmm. What's the reaction? What do you hear? Uh, different reactions. Some people said, oh, we knew this all along. This is not George surprising. Scamtos. George Scamtos. We've been calling him that already. Um, you know, he, um, so, so some people said, yeah, we, we understand it. Other people uh, were hostile. Um, we got a lot of negative pushback from uh, from some some local Republican uh, party officials. We had people outraged. You know, yeah. what are you attacking our own for? You know, we we and we we will still get that. We're we're hearing that in social media and all. You know, this was a Republican. Why would you say anything against him? And you know, the truth is the truth. And we didn't write his history. He did. We exposed it. Yes. But there was some feedback from the party, from lifelong people who worked to get people elected their whole life, volunteered and all that. And there was a bit of a, you know, you shouldn't have done this. What is, I mean, this is kind of a a bigger question, but like, we're obviously in an era of super partisan politics. This is now very, you know, there's a lot of very Republican towns out here. What makes a Republican truly unelectable? If they knew in June what they know now, he would never have been, never have been the nominee. He was running as a sacrificial candidate, sure. and they couldn't find, when, when really it was hard to find anyone else to run. Sure. Um, and then suddenly uh, the New York State Court of Appeals 
transforms what was a transforms guaranteed, a cannon fodder into a congressman. Yeah, from cannon fire into a congressman. That's a great... Yeah. I like that. There you go. I that's like the, that. That's, that's great. the movie title. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did the story just not get traction in the way that you thought it might? Well, um, you know, I, I mean, Robert Zimmerman called. Um, I know he tried very hard when we put these stories out to promote the stories to the um, to the daily newspapers. I don't know exactly what he did. Sure. I mean, he told me at one point he sent 85,000 social media blasts out, and he sent daily reports on what we had reported to to the to the major daily newspapers. So as a media reporter, to me that's very interesting. Okay, you write the story in September. Mm-hmm. You know, the Democratic candidate is aware of it. You get some pushback from local Republicans. Okay, the guy still wins in November. Mm-hmm. December comes, and the New York Times publishes this uh, investigation into Santos that mm-hmm. has some of the stuff that you guys had, but also goes a little further of lying about jobs, lying about a pet charity. It was a great. It was great journalism. I mean, the New York Times did a, a, did did great work on this, and uh, it's also reflective that if if you have the resources um, and you can you can put a team of reporters. You can you can you can do the research and the background research and 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 dig up these materials. I mean, and this wasn't an easy bit of reporting. This was reporting in the United States and reporting in Brazil. When you saw that story, was there or when you saw it, Maureen, was there any like saltiness or oh, I wish we could have pushed it harder, or was it sort of oh okay? No, no I, I was actually very happy to see it come out because it really vindicated us. Because uh, I mean, George Santos was running around telling people openly that he was going to sue us and he was going to shut us down. Really? Uh, for having published the 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 expose that we published on him. Did you so, ever have any worry about that? No, no, because everything was well sourced, and we had uh, we had uh, we had backup for everything we said. So, George, did you ever hear from George Santos after that original September story, or just uh, through? The- I no, we I have not spoken to George Santos, and he will not. He would not even speak to us after uh, we endorsed Tom Swazi in twenty twenty. Have you guys talked to the New York Times, the, yeah. the people who, who broke the story? Yeah, I mean, I've spoken to Grace Ashford and, you know. Yeah. You weren't credited in that story. Was there any uh, bad feeling about that? You know, it's a competitive world. I'm glad that they followed through on, on the story we started. Uh, it would have been nice to be to be credited. Um, to, to, that, to that end, you guys have been doing a lot of uh, press around this story. Oh my god, it's killing me. I mean, it's just killing me. I, I mean, is it helping subscribership or circulation at all? Yeah, it, def- it definitely. The, the newspaper's gotten a lot of attention and uh, good attention. Yeah. So it's it's actually very gratifying to to get that. Yeah. The, the social media is just blowing out of the water. We're just constantly getting uh, new subscribers, new followers, and great comments. Great, great follow up, direct messages, congratulating us and. Thanking us for doing the story, and it, it's it is disappointing that George Santos was elected, even though we had exposed you know these these massive issues with him, um, but he actually trailed Lee Zeldin by three to four points behind Lee Zeldin in this district. Lee Zeldin got almost fifty eight percent in this district. He got fifty four percent. Yeah. So it did have an impact. Um, the shame of it is a, a lot of people you know just vote. You know, reflexively, they just vote one party or the other, and so you know they they say you could run anything, anyone or anything on a ballot, and they would still get forty percent of the vote because people don't think about it. 
the the depth and breadth of the lies are so tremendous. I don't know what to say about us that this guy has got all the way into Congress. I think it says basically we we want to believe and we want to we're always looking for that person to fulfill the check all the boxes for us. And maybe that's unrealistic. I come from Brooklyn, so we have that kind of if it's too good, it's too good. What was the Ed Koch thing you were saying earlier? Oh, well, Ed Koch always said that, uh, pick your top 10 issues. If you agree with me on six of them, vote for me. If you agree with me on 10, have your head examined. Have you noticed that people read less local news? Is it about the same? Like, has there been any change on... Um, I think they read about the same. Yeah. Oh, there's a real lo- We have a really loyal readership. Yeah. Our website traffic is up 31,000%, I think is it's, the... It's, it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, somebody asked me, I said, well, I know there's smoke coming out of the server, so I... Right. <laughs> Claire Malone is a staff writer for The New Yorker. This story first aired in January of this year. Thanks for listening to the Midweek Podcast. Is there a topic or story you'd like to hear OTM cover in 2024? Send us questions, tips, and suggestions to onthemedia at wnyc.org. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Michael Lowinger.